All right, this morning, um, on One Less Hour of Sleep, we are diving into a new series called Do Justice, Love Mercy, Walk Humbly. And that's actually a line, if you don't know, right out of the sixth chapter of the book of Micah. And God is talking to his people. And he's talking to his people about what right religion is and what right religion isn't. What a relationship with him does and doesn't look like. What it looks like to follow God in this world in the right way and in the wrong way. He's talking to his people about that. And in this series, we are honing in on this idea of justice. And the reason for that is it seems that justice is a very central part of what it means to follow God, to be his people and his children in this world. And so it's something that we want to understand more fully, and it's not something we want to miss. That's one of the reasons why we're tackling this, this subject. Here's the other reason. We actually do a lot of justice stuff around here. We do a lot of things as a church. We serve meals for homeless folks. We provide help for refugees. We come alongside those who are facing addictions of any kind. We put on camps and we care for kids who come out of difficult family situations. So we do all these things. But the question, and, and I think it's an important one for us to ask, is why? Why is that stuff so important? Why does it matter? Does it matter to God? How does it fit in with the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and with the message of the scriptures? How important is justice to God, and what does he actually mean when he says, do justice, when he calls us to do justice? So lots of questions in this series, and this week we'll get to a few of them, but I want to start with this one, just kind of a basic, general, right out of the gates question. What is justice? And specifically, what does the Bible mean by justice? Not just, what, not just what does the world mean by justice or what does the word justice mean, but when the Bible speaks of justice, what is the Bible talking about? Well, if we read Micah chapter 6, verse 8, that's the verse where we're told, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly, but we're told, do justice. And the word that's used there for justice is the Hebrew word mishpat, Mishpat, it means justice, and it's used over 200 times in the scriptures. Mishpat simply means this, to give people their due. To give people their due. To give people what they deserve. And there are two ways of doing this. There are two ways of sort of giving people their due or giving people justice. They both are part of the biblical narrative. We see both of them in the scriptures. And the first way is what's sometimes called retributive justice. Retributive justice is going after perpetrators of injustice, the people who are doing wrong. Retributive justice says you punish them, you stop them, you correct them, you bring them to justice. And for us in our Western society, this is typically how we speak about justice. When we talk about justice, we are generally talking about retributive justice. We'll say things like, justice was served, right? And what does that mean? That means... We caught the bad guy, or someone went to jail, or had to pay, or my little brother got in trouble for what he said to me, and there was justice, right? Someone got their due. And we see this kind of all over our society, but perhaps nowhere more clear 
than in our Western movies. Like if you watch a good Western movie, there's always some really bad dudes doing terrible, awful stuff until suddenly, out of nowhere, comes John Wayne or Clint Eastwood or Kurt Russell in the best Western ever, Tombstone, and they come riding into town to, to do what? To bring justice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you will, Greg. Um, I will respond to that, but I can't engage you while I'm preaching. Uh, but the idea is they come into town to give people their due, to give them what they deserve. But there's another way to think about justice. That's retributive justice. It's a, um, but the other way to think about justice is actually the way the scriptures most often speak about justice. In the Bible, mishpat, or justice, sometimes means give the bad guys their due, but more often than not, it's not retributive justice, it's rectifying justice or restorative justice. Justice that's focused not on the perpetrators or the bad guys getting their due, but on the victims getting their due, on the victims getting what they deserve. Here's another definition of mishpat, to rectify things that are wrong, to rectify things that are wrong, making them right. You see, mishpat looks at a broken world, at broken people, and longs to put them back together. And that's because of this. At the heart of the Bible, there's this understanding of justice that goes all the way back to this this Hebrew idea called shalom. Shalom. And maybe you've heard that word before, the word shalom. Most of the time when we talk about shalom in church, we define it with the English word Peace. If you have shalom, you have peace. The problem is this word falls so far short of what shalom is actually all about. Shalom is so much more than simply having personal peace. Shalom is so much more than simply being without worry or fear or anxiety. Now that's part of shalom. Part of shalom is not being plagued with worry and fear and and anxiety, but it's more than that. Shalom is about everything in the world being at peace. You see, when God created the world, he created it in a way that everything in it worked together perfectly, seamlessly. He created it with shalom, All of creation was woven together by the Lord in a beautiful, harmonious, interdependent, perfectly peaceful relationship. In other words, everything worked just the way it was supposed to, just the way it should. Everything was at peace. And that, my friends, is shalom. Sometimes our house experiences shalom. Not too often, I have four kids and a dog, but sometimes, every now and then, I'll stop and notice that there is shalom. Homework is being done. Rooms are cleaned. The dog's not barking. The children are playing peacefully, quietly. They're sharing with one another. They're actually getting along. Dinner is simmering on the stove as Amy and I sit and engage in a robust conversation about the brilliance of my preaching. (laughs) 
shalom. Things are the way they're supposed to be. One theologian named Neil Plantinga said it like this. The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in equity, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We translate it peace, but it means a lot more than that. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, delight. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. You see, once you understand shalom, you understand that justice is not just avoiding injustice. See, one of the ways we sometimes think about justice is just avoiding doing injustice. But that is not the picture the Bible paints at all. Justice is seeing where things are not right. Justice is seeing where there is no longer shalom, where there's not wholeness and delight and flourishing. Justice is noticing when there is not the kind of joy and satisfaction and peace and rightness that God longs for there to be in people's lives. Justice is noticing where there's not shalom and doing something about it. Bruce Waltke, who's an Old Testament commentator, translates uh, a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 14.31, in this way. He says, He who slanders the poor scoffs at his maker, but the one who is gracious to the needy honors God. And, and he points out, as he talks about this verse, that the words scoff and slander are words that simply mean to take lightly. He who takes lightly the poor takes lightly his maker. And what that means is if you just ignore the poor, if you just walk past the needy, if you pay no attention to the vulnerable and the oppressed in our world, if you take them lightly, if they have no impact on how you spend your time or energy or money, then you're not just taking them lightly, you're taking God lightly. When you ignore and insult them, you ignore and insult, insult him. You see, to do justice is to make people who are experiencing injustice important in your life. That means if you're a person of justice, if you're a person of mishpat, if you're a person who's tuned in to God's view of shalom in this world, you are now always on the lookout for the vulnerable. You're always dialed in and noticing the marginalized and the oppressed and the downtrodden and the orphan and the widow and the immigrant. You're tuned into these things because justice is not just getting the bad guys or avoiding injustice. It's noticing where the world is not the way it's supposed to be. This is why mishpat, the word for justice in the scriptures, is often paired with another word. And it's the word we translate righteousness. It's the Hebrew word cicada, cicada. And these words go together like in Isaiah chapter 56. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. You see, we, we have this idea 
that righteousness means something that it doesn't. We've cheapened the Bible's explanation of righteousness. When I say someone is righteous or there's righteousness there, what do you instantly think of? You think of morality. You think of someone who's really upright and moral. In some ways, we've made righteousness a bad word. It almost feels like self-righteousness, someone who's too good for everyone else. But that's not what the Bible says righteousness is all about. Righteousness in the Bible is about right relationships. Righteousness in the Bible is about right relationship with God and right relationships with others. That's why Jesus said, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor. Be in right relationship with God and in right relationship with others. That's righteousness. Now part of being righteous is to be a moral person, is to not lie and to not steal and to not slander and to not gossip, certainly, but it goes so much farther than that. Righteousness is about justice. It's about making the world right. It's about seeing people who aren't right. It's about making sure that things are right in this world. To be people of righteousness is to be people of justice. Righteousness, justice, Shalom. They matter to the heart of God. And here's the question. Why? Why is rectifying things that are wrong in this world? Why is noticing where there is injustice in this world so important for people who are followers of God? Why does this matter so much? Why does justice matter? Psalm chapter, uh, chapter 146, verses 1 to 10. This is what the psalmist writes. He's talking here about the people of God being people of justice. He says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous, those who do right. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. You see, what we have in this passage is the psalmist talking about a God who in verse 6, he says, is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In other words, he's talking about a God who is on top. This is a God who's not weak. This is a God who is strong. This is a God who has all the power. He's omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. You see, the ancient world and the ancient world, the sea, the ocean, it was an incredibly powerful thing that people were very, very respectful of, in awe of, often scared of. See, in our world, the the ocean, the sea doesn't really impact us that much. Most of us have not had the experience of being out on the ocean in a ship in the middle of a storm. Most of us have no idea how powerful the sea is. But the people in the ancient world... Because they relied on the ocean, they relied on the sea for their livelihoods. They knew, they knew about the sea. They knew how strong and powerful it was. A number of years ago, there was a a movie out with George Clooney called The Perfect Storm. 
And one of the things that I think this movie did wonderfully was to capture the amazing power of the ocean. It's what the psalmist is talking about here. And and here's what the, the psalmist is saying. If you think the ocean is powerful, if you think great white sharks are powerful, you ain't seen nothing yet because God made them both and he's more powerful than all of them. And the point is this. This immensely powerful God loves to use his power on behalf of the weakest and most vulnerable members of society. The God on top uses his power to influence and change the lives of those who are on the bottom. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. And we're told this all throughout the Bible, friends. Time and time and time again throughout the scriptures, we're told that God is amazing, that he's powerful, that he's great, that he's above all, and yet he loves those who are on the very bottom. This is Deuteronomy chapter 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. You see, friends, we take this for granted because this is who we know God to be or who we believe God to be. But in the ancient world, this would have been a shock. The gods of the ancient world never interacted this way. The gods of the ancient world only cared about the people on top. They worked through and with the kings and queens and rulers and generals of their day. The gods of the ancient world cared nothing for the poor and the marginalized and the vulnerable. This would have been radical stuff. And friends, this matters because what we do... What we care about says a lot about who we are. Tim Keller talks about this. He says, you know, when I go to speak somewhere, I'm always asked, how do you want us to introduce you? And he says, you know, when I'm telling people how to introduce me, I know that it has to be short, it has to be brief, it has to be succinct. And so I always choose the stuff closest to my heart, most important to me. And I say, hey, introduce me by saying these things, that I'm a husband, that I'm a father, and that I have the privilege of serving as a pastor of a local church because those three things are the most important. They're closest to my heart. And here's the point. God, time and time and time again in the Bible says, introduce me in this way. This is who I am. I am a God who cares for the poor. I am a God who defends the defenseless. I am a God who cares for the vulnerable, who loves the widows and the orphans. That is what is most important to my heart. Friends, the reason justice must be so important to us is because it is so important to the God that we serve. We have to understand That when God says, introduce me, he always says, introduce me in this way. This is the kind of God I am. This is what I truly care about in this world. Furthermore, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in the New Testament says this. 
We, that's the church, that's those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those of us who have decided to follow Jesus. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. See, an ambassador is someone who goes and represents someone else, most often like a king or a dignitary of some kind. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. The New Testament says that when people want to know who God is and what he cares about, they will look at his people, his church, at you and me. And what must they see if they're going to get an accurate picture of God? A heart for the marginalized, the poor, the needy, the vulnerable. A heart for justice in this world. Friends, every single one of us who follows Jesus is a living introduction of God in this world. So how? How do we become people of justice? Because my guess is this. Maybe some of you are sitting here in this room this morning and you're feeling a little guilty. You're thinking, man, God cares a lot about justice. He cares a lot about the poor and the marginalized. It seems like I'm really supposed to be dialed in and tuned in to people who are struggling or needy or don't have as much in this world. And you know, honestly, if I'm honest and I'm sitting here, I'm not that tuned in. And I feel kind of bad and I feel kind of guilty and you know, I'm going to leave here and try a lot harder to care about poor people and marginalized people. I guess I better. And maybe I should even stop by the Royal Family Kids Camp table on my way out and consider writing a big check. And I want to say the Royal Family Kids Camp people are very open to that. But God wants more than that. First of all, God wants more because he knows that guilt is not an effective way of transforming a human life. God knows that should-dos and ought-to-dos and guilt-driven-dos will not last. You will do something because you feel guilty for a while, but ultimately you will go back to being exactly who you are. Listen to this, friends. This is so important. This is such a central principle that the Bible lays out for life, that it applies in so many ways. If you don't, if you've tuned me out, tune me back in and hear this. The Bible says this, that we live and act out of our hearts. That we live and act out of our hearts, out of what's truly on the inside of us. That what's truly on the inside of you will come out in your life. That's what the Bible says. And so because of that, God does not want just some forced external change that won't last. Instead, he wants an empowered internal transformation. You see, it's not enough to just start doing justice externally. You've got to become a person of justice internally. Your heart has to change. And if we look at the beginning of Psalm 146, we're told actually how this happens. It's it's amazing. It's remarkable. How does this transformation happen? How, how does it happen? We, we're, we're told about it at the very beginning of the psalm. What does it say? The psalmist starts this way. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. See, what the psalmist is telling us here, what he's showing us, is that 
It's by praising the God of justice that we're transformed. By worshiping and adoring the God of justice that our hearts can be changed. That we can be transformed into people who love and live for justice from the inside out if we will only worship God. Worship is the key, my friends. Because what you worship, you will value, and what you value, you will move towards. If you're writing anything down today, write that down. What you worship, you will value, and what you value, you will move towards. You see, we often think of worship as just singing. We come and we gather and we sing some songs. We worshiped, and singing is a part of worship. I think it's an important part of worship, but it's only a small snippet of worship. Worship is really, you know what worship is about? Worship is about the affections of your heart, what you allow your heart to be thrilled with, what you allow your heart to be most excited about. That's what you worship. Worship is being thrilled with something, being excited about something. What you're allowing to capture your imagination and what you're allowing to motivate you. And those things that you allow to capture you, to motivate you, to thrill you, to excite you, those are the things you worship. And those things will begin to change you and shape you from the inside out. That's why when you love a movie or a book or a song, you want to what? Talk about it with your friends. And your family, you want to share it because it's, it's made its way inside of you. It's made its way into your heart. It's made its way into your affections. And so now it starts to change you and it automatically wants to now come out of you because it's transformed you. You want to share it with people because you've given your affections to it. You know, I was telling the, the Rooted group, the group of you who are going through Rooted right now just a, about a month ago that... I've recently given my affections to and been completely captured by the music of Hamilton. Like I'm just, I'm, I started listening to Hamilton like a month and a half ago and I can't quit listening to it, Kevin. I am addicted to Hamilton. I'm constantly listening to it. I know all the words. I'm, I'm just, like, my kids and my wife are so, so sick of it. They are over it. And I not only will listen to it, I've kind of like become like an evangelist for it. So. Um, my son in particular, who was stuck with me in the car last week as we drove to Mount Hood to go snowboarding, um, for like two hours up to Mount Hood and two hours back, my car, my rules, my music, we're listening to Hamilton. And so we're listening to Hamilton and Dax is just like, Dad, you are killing me with this Hamilton. I've heard it like 40 times. But not only was I listening to Hamilton with him, we listened to a song and then what? Pause. And then a little mini sermon from Dad. Son! Do you understand what's happening here? Do you understand the significance of what's being said? That George Washington is giving up power for the first time in the history of the world. You know, it's just like, I'm just preaching to him. And he's just like, oh my goodness, dad, give it a rest. And my wife is like so tired of me talking about Hamilton. But there's this, it's, it's made its way into my affections, into my heart, right? I've given myself to this music and now it's changing me and shaping me and coming out of me. And I will listen and pause and preach about Hamilton, not just the Bible, but about Hamilton. I can preach about lots of stuff. At any rate, the point is this. Here's the point. Don't miss the point. What we choose to worship, what we choose to give our affections and our our affections too, will shape who we become and what we care about. 
What we choose to worship, what we choose to give our time and energy and attention and affections to will shape who we become and what we care about. And here's the best part. You can choose that. You can choose that. Notice it says this. Notice the psalmist says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Who's he talking to there? When he says, praise the Lord, my soul, who's he talking to there? He's talking to himself. He's speaking to his own heart, to his own soul. One commentator says, what the psalmist is doing here is rousing himself up to shake off apathy and, and he's moving his affections and he's using his mind to kindle his emotions back towards God again. You see, sometimes we have this notion, this false notion that what we care about or love or are interested in is just sort of left up to chance. That our hearts will just sort of go where our hearts go. But that's not what the scriptures say. That's actually not what life will teach you, friends. The, it's what the scriptures say and what life will teach you is this. You can lead your heart. You can lead your affections. You can choose to be excited and thrilled and engaged with what you want to be excited and thrilled and engaged with. You have a choice over what you will and what you won't allow your heart to worship. And what you worship will infect you and change you and transform you from the inside out. And so the way to become a person who loves justice, who loves helping things in this world be right again, go back towards shalom, the way to be a person who loves justice is to fall in love with and give your affections to and worship the God of justice. The God of justice. Because when you worship someone, when you give your affections and your heart and your attention to someone, they rub off on you. Have you ever noticed this? Those of you who are married for a long time, you'll notice this. Maybe you've seen this in your parents, that over time they just start to become the same person, right? Because when you love someone and you give someone your affections and your heart and your time and your attention, you start to love what they love, Right? Anyone here experienced this? You got married, you had no interest in that thing she liked, but now all of a sudden, you're into it and you're doing it all the time. This is true of me. When Amy and I got married, I had no affinity or affection for hiking at all. I'm a basketball player. I like to do things with a goal, with a point. I like to do things where I can tell if I won or not. For me, when I was in my early 20s, hiking was just like wandering around in the woods aimlessly. Who would want to do that? No one. But now, 20 years in, has my heart changed? Do I love to hike? I do. And I don't just do it to appease her. I actually honestly love it because my affections, my heart have moved towards loving something that my wife loves. I'll do it even when she's not around now. All you gotta do is throw on a rain jacket, people. (laughs) Quit being such wimps. Any rate. You see, when you love someone, you start to love what they love. And now, when you love God, 
when you start to love the God of the scriptures, when you start to give your time and energy and affections and resources to the God of the scriptures, you will begin to love what the God of the scriptures loves. Justice. Shalom for things to be made right in the lives of people who are vulnerable and marginalized and oppressed and downtrodden in this world. And all of a sudden you'll find the antennas of your mind and heart turning towards them and moving towards them. Not because you have to or because you ought to, but because your heart longs to. Because you've been shaped by the God of justice. And so again this morning, friends... As we gather, we'll move to the tables. And we do this not just as a kind of religious act. I know we do it every week and it can become sort of routine and regimented. But do not let it become that because this is a chance to once again realign your heart, to realign your affections, to say, God, I want to fall in love with you again. And here's how it works. When you go to the table, you take the bread and you take the cup and here's what you're reminded of. God loves you first. He loves you first and he loves you more than you can even imagine. Do you know how much easier it is to love someone who loves you? Well, God loves you in an immeasurable way. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross to give his life for you. And he invites you to give your heart to him the way he has given his heart to you. He says... I, just don't, I don't just want your church attendance. I don't just want your good deeds. I want your heart. I want your affections. I want you to fall in love with me. And as you fall in love with me, I want you to fall in love with the things that I'm in love with. I want to help you become from the inside out people of shalom, justice, mishpat, righteousness, people who are making things right in this world through my power and strength. So come to the table this morning. Here's my request that you would just come and you just be open-hearted and open-palmed about receiving again and hearing again from God just how much he loves you and that you would just say, God, change my heart. Open my eyes. Shape my affections so that they're more aligned with yours in this world. I'm going to pray and then the worship team's going to come up. When you're ready, you can go to the table and receive the elements on your own when you're, when you're ready for them. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your heart, for people, for this world to be right again, for things to be whole and healthy and flourishing, for your children to have lives of delight and fullness, God. Thank you for inviting us into the process and the product of making this world right again. Thank you for using us. Thank you for empowering us and changing us, for helping us to be more like you. Lord, we can't do it on our own. God, I pray in this series against human effort. I pray against any notion that we would just decide to add one more thing to our religious to-do list, Lord. Instead, God, change our hearts. Help us to see people the way you see people, to see this world the way you see this world. Open our eyes to the injustice around us, that we could be your hands and feet, that we could bring hope and healing and health. Thank you, Father. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, that's the heart of Christ too, right? 
That's why he says, let there be heaven on earth, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that things would be just the way God longs for them to be here, that there would be shalom again on earth. That's the prayer of Christ. You know, one of the things I was thinking about as, as we go today is just idea, this idea of contagious affections, how when we love some, someone, when we engage with them, their affections start to rub off on our affections, how when we engage God, his affections start to infect us. Well, how do I fall more in love with God? Well, one of the wonderful tools we have is by spending time with people who love God. When I'm around them, their affection for God starts to rub off on me and I start to love God more because of their great love for God. And one of the ways we do that here, we have a lot of ways of sort of kind of saying, hey, I want some of your affection for Christ and I wanna share some of my affection for Christ with you. One of the ways we do that, I think maybe one of the most intimate ways is through prayer. There's something about just standing or being with somebody and then going before the throne of God together and just saying, let's pray together. Something about that that just sort of merges affections and sort of bolsters our love and our hearts for the Lord. And so this morning, again, I, I implore you, ask you, encourage you. If you need prayer today, if you want someone to just pray for you about anything, maybe you don't even have a specific need, but you just wanna, you just wanna love God more. You wanna have your eyes for justice open more. There'll be folks down here in the front who would love to pray with you after service. Don't be bashful or shy about that. Come down and, and share some affections for God. Let, let those prayer warriors sort of infuse you with a greater heart for the king of justice in this world. And then go as God's people, the people of Shalom into this world, this place that desperately needs things to be the way they ought to be again, to be people of peace, to be people of righteousness, to be people of mishpat. Deal? Amen. Go with God. We'll see you soon.